You create your life with the stories you tell yourself. Want more fun, love, and money? Then write your new story and live into it. Louis DiBianco's podcast, Change Your Story, Change Your Life, shows you how to discover your empowering story. You'll meet many successful people who have created magnificent lives, even when the odds were stacked against them. Plus, you'll learn the secrets of great storytelling that can explode your business. And now, here is your host, Louis DiBianco. Being funny is serious business. It can also be inspiring, healing, and profitable. Hello, storytellers, and welcome to another episode of Change Your Story, Change Your Life. I believe, as you know, that readers are leaders. That's why I've chosen Audible as our sponsor. They're offering you, the listeners of this show, a downloadable, free audiobook of your choice. You get to choose from more than 180,000 titles. Simply go to www.audibletrial.com forward slash story power. I love getting comments from the listeners, from you, the storytellers. Different opinions, different takeaways, different moments of inspiration. Keep those ideas coming and also your comments about what you'd like to see in this show going forward. Send them to loseclub at gmail.com. That's L-O-U-S. CLUB at gmail.com. And if you're a regular listener, you're obviously getting some value from this show. Let other people know about that and increase the visibility of the show. Pay it forward by paying a visit to iTunes and leaving a brief review sharing your takeaways. And at the same time, give us a five-star rating. And thank you in advance for doing that. Today's guest makes her living being funny. Once upon a time, she was a tech executive. Today, she is a speaker, author, comic, and the stage improviser. She uses her talents to help companies and teams solve big creative, culture, and communication challenges with her own business called Keeping It Human. She has spoken on many stages, including at IBM, NASDAQ, and social media marketing world. Her new book, Stop Boring Me, creating kick-ass marketing content, products, and ideas through the power of improv, is receiving a lot of praise. Inc.com and LinkedIn Business call it a CMO must-read. Get ready to laugh and learn from Kathy Clotes guest. Kathy, welcome to Change Your Story, Change Your Life. Oh my gosh, thanks for having me. Thank you. Uh, when I started following you on Facebook, I said this woman is smart, she's funny, she's gotta be a, <laughs> she's gotta be on my show. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was so nice. It's so nice. and thank you so much for reaching out to me. I love meeting other improvisers and other funny people. And, you know, I love finding my tribe. So what a joy. Thank you so much for reaching out. Yes, indeed. So did you always have a gift for comedy, Kathy? You know, according to my parents, the short answer is yes. Um, So 
Um, I, I think there was that natural proclivity. I always had that. I'm fortunate enough to have had a funny dad who encouraged it. And I think I got, I got really blessed that way. And so it was a matter of, I knew somehow in some way, shape or form, I would use all of it. I didn't know how that would come into being. Um, and, and I really credit sort of my dad and I, when we were, when I was young, my dad and I would uh, watch sort of reruns of, of Carol Burnett together. And I remember watching this crazy, wacky redhead, another wonderful redhead besides Lucille Ball, be funny and have her own show. And I went, wow. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I thought, this is fantastic. And of course, you know, Tim Conway, Harvey Corman, the whole cast. And I remember going, you can make a living doing this. Um, it, it was like my mind was blown at that point. Wonderful. I love those influences. And, you know, you said when you were young, as opposed to now, because now we know you're ancient, right? I'm ancient. I'm, yeah. I, I've been doing this since Jesus was a baby. Yeah. Now, I'm on the, I'm on the paleolithic uh, diet, and it's it's done quite well for me. Oh, since Jesus. <laughs> I, I, well, actually, I, I've been doing this since uh, B.C., so, you know, there we go. <laughs> so, let me see. When did you actually make a conscious decision to become a comedian? You know, it's interesting because my very first, I, my very first comedy class was while I was in college. And then after college, I, this is where uh, naivete favors, uh, you know, the young and, and like not, not knowing to be afraid, which is great. So I, I thought this was fun. I like this. And then after college, I, I start, I made the conscious decision to start doing stand-up comedy. Um, and I, I was, I was young and like too, too young to, to know better and to be scared. So that's, that was a good thing. And then I threw myself into, to open mic nights in, in the Bay area in LA. And I think a, a, something happened the first couple times I did stand-up and it was like, wow, this feels right. Even if I fail and I'd have nights, you know, you got to fail um, you, you, there was something that you, you felt compelled to do. And even in my early twenties, I went, yeah, I got to be doing this in some way, shape or form. Something here, it clicks for me. Mm. You know, when you said before about uh, being young and naive and not knowing that much is jumping in, you've heard the expression ignorance on fire. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's great though. I mean, that's the only way, you know, you don't, uh, second guess it you just jump in because you're just burning to do it and that's the way to do it totally totally so what obstacles did you have to overcome to succeed at what you do because it's tough mm-hmm. yeah what a great question because i think every comic goes through that i i think everyone has that sort of the the, the trough of self-doubt and like is, should i be doing this and you know we all have to fail failure is a big part of the process and failure doesn't feel good and i think a lot of times we're as human beings as flesh bags we're we're we're, we're like mice oh this feels good let's go to the things that feel that feel good and avoid the things that 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 kind of stink and yet you really got to you know face and follow that fear and i think learning to be okay with that stuff was a big thing because we're not taught how to fail well and you think about companies man companies don't even talk about their failure stories so as human beings we are 
we tend to minimize and underestimate the power and the value of failure and the learning that comes with that. So I think for me, the biggest thing I had to overcome was getting over the head trash of failure, right? Um, especially, you know, if you if you go to certain schools and you're primed to like, well, you're going to go to college, you're going to go do that. You're you're sort of, you've, you've uh, you had some of the Kool-Aid at, at some point in your life that you're going to do this, you're going to do that, and that's how successful people roll. But what they never tell you is how to handle the failure. And that's something I think I'm grateful for comedy because, um, man, if, if you're going to, if you're going to keep doing this stuff, you're going to have to make failure your best friend and you're going to have to learn how to make it work. Yeah. And you know, I was just recently, I forgot who it was. I was listening probably to another podcast or reading something where the person said, we have to take this word failure and get rid of it and change it to discovery and yeah i mean because it's we i mean this is one of the reasons i have this show because i believe that everything we say to ourselves is a story and words in and of themselves are stories independently and failure is one of them that we have a story connect a narrative around it and we allow that to stop us and you were talking about education forget it it's completely screwed up i mean it it sets you up to be rewarded or punished harshly when you attempt things as opposed to giving you an atmosphere where you can explore but good for you for sticking with it you know well i i love that you said that that is that's really an important thing it's like it's like yeah failure is an f word but it's not a four-letter f word it's not fatal. And, and I love, I love that you said that because one of the things that really that I had to do early on is I had to reframe my relationship with failure, which changed my internal narrative. And you're, you're hundred percent right on that. I love that you said that because once I started seeing failure as learning, it was like, no, it's learning. Now I know what works and what doesn't. And there's only one way in comedy to know, and that's just to test it. There is no other way. Mm -hmm. And once I accepted that testing out in the wild, like experimental in the wild was going to be the way that I would know, and you'd have to embrace that, it became so much easier to reframe that. And I think that's such a powerful concept. If you can reframe anything as, as not failure, but like learning and curiosity and follow your curiosity, man, it makes it so much easier when you, when you do have a night where you, where you look at yourself and you go, well, okay, that joke did not go well. But you now know, and you can either rewrite the joke or you ditch it and you go on to something else. But mm. you now know, and that's powerful. Like, mm. I, like I, I think that's that's ballsy and it's brave and it's courageous. And I think that's an important attitude to have. Yeah, it's the only way you're going to move forward. Otherwise, you're going to be paralyzed. I mean, I had a wonderful mentor who used to always say, "I either had a good day today or a learning day." Yes. You know? mm -hmm. So describe your first time as a comic in front of a live audience. Well, you know, the first time was like an out-of-body experience for me because I remember, I don't, you always remember your first time. I, I remember, um, it just felt like I was floating because you got through it. And I think probably like a lot of people, their first time at an open mic night, five minutes seems like an eternity. Like you're like, all right, I did 30 seconds. How are we doing? Can I just stop now? You know, you're, you're sort of, you, you do it and you can't remember it because you're so out of body. But I knew, and some stuff worked, some stuff didn't, but I knew, my God, I got to do this again. And I think it was that knowing of, I got to do this again. 
And I think I went too fast, like a lot of comics. You're just trying to power through and get through it. And stepping on your own jokes and, and not learning the pacing of your of your set list. And there's things you have to learn. But boy, I just remember this overwhelming feeling of like, if I could feel like that every day, holy crap, that's pretty powerful. Um, and then, you know, I think also as a, as a woman, I mean, I, I, I had experiences that uh, a lot of women comics face. And I had those experiences, too, where you, you got the drunk people. Um, I didn't have it too much, but I had a heckler. And you have to learn how to deal with that. And But those things make you stronger, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's great. I'm glad you shared that because you suddenly took me back to my very first uh, performance as an actor in front of an audience in a little coffee house, which is no longer in New York. With And it was similar where at the end, I remember the audience jumping up and they went to a, a, a roaring applause. And I remember that feeling, like you said, out of body and knowing, oh man, I've got to do this again and again, you know. Ah, yeah, hope- yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was playing a rat, by the way. Yeah, I won't get into it. But uh, I was I was playing around, you know. I I just couldn't resist you before you were saying, you know, about the f words and thinking of George Carlin and what's wrong with the other f words? You know, there's nothing wrong with them either. Totally, and God rest his soul, a brilliant, brilliant man, George Carlin. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. What was your biggest bomb on stage? Um. I think honestly, it was this. It was pre Me Too movement, and I thought the audience was ready for just talking about the, you know, being able to handle. I mean, where else are you going to talk about this stuff if not on a comedy stage? Because comedy is the comedy stage is this is this great contract with the audience that you can say whatever crap you got to say as long as you're funny. And I think I underestimated in a mixed audience that it that the audience was not ready for some of these things yet. The truth of me too. And I was talking about some of these experiences and I could hear the women laughing their asses off and I could just see the men just collective butt clenching. They were so uncomfortable. And I think that um, we're in a different space and time and now we can laugh about these things and we can, but we can talk about them in a way that is palpable and needs to be said. So I, I think the, I think the biggest bomb is, is sort of, and it happens. It's like you you just don't you're not in sync with the audience and um and that happens. And you know, I've seen comics do this where they maybe misjudge the political affiliation of their audience and you've seen that too, and then the audience is like eh. and and you know, you can step in it and it happens. And yet I'm okay with that because I still think that that was learning and I, I needed to learn how to tell that story in a way that People didn't feel shame or blame, but also let's let's laugh at the parts we can and let's change the stuff we don't like. Mm-hmm. And so it taught me to be a better comic and take responsibility for, you know, when you bomb, it's not the audience's fault, right? If you if you bomb, there's only one person really at the end of the day to get mad at, and that's to look in a mirror and not even get mad, but take responsibility and say, all right, what could I have delivered better? And I'm a big believer. You know, when I hear comics blame an audience, well, look, unless the audience is drunk and obnoxious, if your material's not hidden, there's only one person that's responsible for that, and take a look in the mirror. 
And I think I really believe in that. I think you take responsibility for your voice. And mm-hmm. so I think it's a, it was a powerful lesson for me. Well, you know, it's wonderful. And what's interesting is that was it really a total bomb? Because you said the women were with you. So, you know, and making the guys feel uncomfortable was probably a good thing. I think it was. I think it was. But it's so funny because when I do, when I'm used to just doing jokes like, you know, that are that are universal, you have the whole audience with you. And it was the first time I remember getting up there and doing material that split the audience. And I remember going, oh, not that that's bad because you find out who your tribe is, right? It's not bad. You find out who you're for pretty quickly. But what was different was it was probably the riskiest material I decided to do. And I was glad that I tried it. But I remember going, ooh. And I, there was this little party that wants to go back to the safe material, which is universal and it's not gender specific, but then it's an easy laugh and you're never testing yourself. And I thought, all right, I'm going to take, I'm going to strap on a pair and go out there and try something a little edgier. And boy, man, it was like, it, you, you know, it was, it's like going into like, you know, um, uh, you know, the Bible belt and going, so about Trump, huh? And like, like being shocked that you get this reaction. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, and the audience is looking at you and you're like, oh, wrong audience. But, but it, all those experiences are really important to have looking back on it. I think it's, those are powerful experiences because you, you, you shape it. You realize who you're for. You realize what your voice is, what you'll compromise, what you won't. And you know what? You're not going to please everybody, right? There's always that guy or gal in the back of the room you know you've had this experience where they got their arms folded like all right all right smiley say some funny shit right Mm, or get off mm -hmm. and they're looking at you like you know all right what do you got and they're you know what i mean and so you're always there's always gonna be one person who's not laughing and we as comics are we're so hung up on the one person not laughing we're like please laugh please please validate me and so i think it's such an important thing for a comic to be able to be able to let go and find who you're for Mm, yeah, that's a big one. That's a wonderful way to put it. Do what was your uh, best performance ever? You know, I think my best performance was when I really um, talked about, um, you know, my family, what it's like to be a mom, a working mom, talking about my marriage, and you know, and what what I got out of that was really people connect when you go to the personal. You know, you go to the personal. Um, you know, it's look, I, I've been married 20 years. I celebrated my, my 20th, um, wedding anniversary this year. And, uh, people always ask me, they're like, Kathy, you know, that's a long time. In that amount of time, did you ever consider divorce? And I'm like, nah, murder. Hell yes. You know? And, and, and you can tell who the married people are in that audience. Cause they're, they're laughing their asses off. Everybody's laughing and you know, okay, those are the people who are in long-term loving relationships and but when you when I went to the personal, it really made that big of a difference because the audience is going. I now I know who she is. I get a story of who she is. Mm, great, that's great. Now, do you feel that comedy has its roots in pain? Mm. Such a great question. Sometimes yes, and sometimes no. I. I, I 
You know, I, I know the, you know, I think we're required as, as you and I as improvisers, there's three things that are demanded of us. Once, one, we must make a pilgrimage to Chicago at least once in a lifetime. It's in the, it's in the membership. It's in the, it's in the, um, two, we are required to, you know, get personal and have a, have a, a personal sort of persona at some point. And I think three, there's sort of this, these, um, there's these things that we buy into these myths and, and there's, there's truth there that, you know, there's a lot of pathos in, in humor and, and, and pain, right? Um, tragedy plus time is comedy, but there's also the flip side that, you know, we often have these arch- archetypes of, you know, the, the, the sad comic, the, 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 the comic who's in pain. And, and to some degree that's true, but I think a lot of, la- of humor also comes out of, out of happiness and joy and levity. And I, I, I sometimes think that these stereotypes of of the you know the the depressed comic and yes there's truth in that to some degree I think they they also um, don't serve us talk about a story that sometimes doesn't serve us because I think that yes I've done comedy and I've talked about my pain I've talked about you know my own personal uh, stuff you know losing um, you know my mom to cancer what it was like to go through that journey and all the stuff around it but i also think it's okay as comics to just come from a place of joy you know we don't always have to be depressed you know sad sacks we can come from a place of levity and joy i totally agree with you and as a matter of fact when i asked the question i didn't necessarily mean that uh, if a person is developing great comedy out of pain that they're living in pain but it's mm. but it's a powerful way of conquering pain of uh mm. putting it in its place if you like of saying i'm the master you're not you're the slave you're uh-huh. here you're here to serve me i'm gonna you talk about reframing bad experience there yeah, it hurts um what can, uh. I, what can i take from it and share this with the world. Now it becomes uh, a source of laughter and a gift, even you know. Oh, totally! Oh my gosh, no that 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 part I totally hear you. You know, when you are able to get through the other side of pain, um, not in the throes of it, as we know, because then you can't be. It's hard to be objective. But when you're on the other side of that pain hurdle, when you're able to talk about it and share it and own it. You're owning it. It's not owning you. And that is such a beautiful place to be able to, you know, talk about, you know, I love talking about being 5'3 and petite and blonde and coming out of the tech industry and all the stereotypes that go with it. Right. And uh, I love being underestimated because, you know, people can underestimate me all day long. Um, and it's great because, you know, they'll never see my minivan come until they're under it. And, (laughs) and, you know, and it's fine. And all that, all the pathos of like being a woman in tech, which was 90% male dominated when I was working in it, I can, I can now laugh at all these things. I'm on the other side of it. I can be objective. I can look at it and go, all right, there's power in being underestimated. And I talk about that and I own it. And yeah, you're absolutely right. That's such a great, powerful point. How did you end up in tech anyway? (laughs) Well, here's the interesting part is that um, I was I was doing comedy in L.A. I was studying in L.A. I got this this job offer because they were like, well, you're really good at, you know, connecting with people. And we need people who can do that in tech. 
And I went, okay, well, yeah, because comedy is hard to make a living at consistently. And I, I sort of, this, here's my big regret. I regret that I, I took the plan B. I thought, well, it wouldn't hurt to have some income while I'm doing comedy. So while I still did comedy five, six nights a week. So, you know, I've been doing comedy for 25 years, but, but you know, I, I, it kind of took me away from my original plan a little bit because I would do comedy at night. I would teach comedy at night. I would teach improv and went through, you know, second city comedy sports, all that stuff. Um, what it did is it, de- it sort of derailed me and I thought I'd be able to bring more of that into tech and I wasn't able to, I tried, I kept saying, well, gosh, you know, talk about uh, an industry that is dry and like, you know, boring as hell and could use some levity. Um, and I really underestimated the resistance to that. I really did. And so that's how I ended up in tech. And then, you know, um, a few years ago, uh, you know, a few years, six, six seven years ago, um, I had my son and I said, I'm not going back. You know what? I, 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 got, I took a detour, but I, I got to go back to my roots. And I've never felt more happy. Mm. Beautiful. Yeah. So... How can comedy help people, or let's say, do you believe it can, help people to grow and heal, both the comic and the audience? You know, absolutely. Um, Talking about the things that were uncomfortable for me years ago and being able to talk about them and own them, you know what's so great about it? And I know you know this because you do comedy as well, and you've had this experience. I think every comic, there's something wonderful when after a show somebody comes up to you and says, me too. Me too. That happened to me. Or um, I totally related to that. And you realize that, you know, your story, whatever your story is, when you tell that story to people and you're open about it, there's something people will receive it with the sincerity in which you delivered it. And if you're in that space of being of owning it, not feeling sorry for yourself, but just kind of laughing at it and people see that you've gotten through it man, there's something about that that connects that audience with you and people will come up to you and, and say, gosh, me too. And wow, that you you can laugh. at You've gotten through the other side of that, whatever that was, and you can laugh at it. And that inspires me that I know that I can get through it too. And I think those are the kinds of things that are, you know, we don't get those all the time, but when we do get them, man, that's a bonus. Don't you think? Oh yeah, absolutely. Because I mean, look, people are terrified, all of us, you know, of, are we alone? Is our experience solitary? Is this only happening to me? But when you do something that connects on a universal level, mm-hmm. then it reassures everyone. They feel, wow, I'm not alone. And yeah. and especially if they see you on stage and they're, and they're in a way, they're admiring you because they say, well, this is a, you know, a celebrity. Maybe I can't do that. And they say, wow, she's going through that? Hmm. I must be okay. Yeah. 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 That's a bonus. That's an added added thing that makes us feel good. Why we do the work we do, I think. Now that I realize that we should charge more. We should. <laughs> <laughs> do, you think we can, do you think we can bill in arrears? Can we just go back and like, you know, retroactively raise our prices? Would that work? Probably not. But <laughs> it depends how you frame it. <laughs> That's it. That's it. That's it. It, it was a low. You, know, you, you, make, you make them feel guilty enough, they'll, they'll pay. <laughs> that's, that's true. I, and I am a mom, which means I do know how to get I'm mom and I'm Catholic. Oh, my so God. If, oh, my if God. If anybody knows how to guilt, it's me. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> so how can comedy 
affect social change? You know, um, we're seeing such a, a renaissance of like comedy and, and parody as social tools, as tools for civic debate. And we're seeing that right now. And I think it's a really cool time to be doing this stuff because I look at comedy right now and I'm seeing different voices um, sort of rise up. And I love that. I love seeing people of color. I love seeing women. I love seeing women of color. I love seeing voices that traditionally you did not hear in a lot of mainstream comedy. We're seeing and hearing these voices. And I'm, I'm, it is making me feel like, Yes, because comedy's always been on the vanguard of social change. It's the comedians. You look to the comedians, right? And who who are the, the, the shit disturbers in society? And I say that with love. It's it's you know, the John Stewarts and the and the you know the Trevor Noahs and the Stephen Colbert's and the people who have always traditionally been the comic voices who are the social conscience of their time, the ones who are who are saying, Hey, you know, I think it was I think it was Will Rogers who said, uh, you know, the times are changing when we uh, uh, take our comics seriously and our politicians less so. Mm. And I love that because that's exactly right. If you look at the voices of who is articulating change and on the vanguard of, of this social change that we're experiencing, it's the comics. And it's not the politicians. And I love that. Mm-hmm. I was thinking also of Charlie Chaplin's The Great Dictator. Mm, yes, I didn't uh-huh. think about that, but now, I, yes, that, yes, you're absolutely right. And I think comedy's traditionally been that all throughout the ages. It's always been to push the envelope and to say the things, you know, with a wise fool, the Shakespearean wise fool. I mean, the only one who could get away with telling, you know, King Lear, dude, you got no clothes. The emperor's got no clothes on and you're a big idiot. The only one who could get away with it was was the wise fool. That's right. So, I mean, yeah. that's, we are, we are upholding a tradition, a long-standing tradition of being able to say these things. The fool on the hill, right? Sees the sun yeah, going yeah. down and the eyes in his head see the world going round. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And you, you worked in a Beatles quote, so extra points. <laughs> there, there you go. Yes. And for people who don't know the great dictator, he's like, oh, what's that? Well, look it up. Charlie Chaplin, uh, silent film, brilliant send-up and commentary on Hitler. Yeah. It's it's just absolutely brilliant. It's timeless. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, it gives me chills because I feel like it's there's a social purpose to comedy, to what we do. And that is, I really believe that. And that makes me feel good to be a part of that sort of you know, that vanguard of people who are saying, hey, man, wake up, wake up, society. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What comedians have inspired you? Oh, my gosh. I get inspired by so many voices. Um, I, you know, I was a huge fan, obviously, of, of the late, great Robin Williams. And I had the pleasure of seeing him in San Francisco because I live in the Bay Area where he he also lived. And I got to see him every once in a while. And he was just magical on stage. Um, I'm... I'm inspired by, um, you know, lots of voices. I, you know, there's a lot of parody today and sketch comedy. Like Key and Peele was brilliant, brilliant in my mind um, because they took on a lot of social issues with their comedy. And I like that. When comedy is meaning, John Oliver, I look at what John Oliver does and I am blown away because, again, that, that tradition of taking something that's really important to say that 
is uncomfortable sometimes to discuss, but wrapping it in a layer of humor and delivering it that way, man, that's so powerful. So I'm inspired by those voices. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you like Ricky Gervais? I, I do like Ricky. He's he. It's funny because um, a lot of the comics that I really, really love as a practitioner is not what my husband would normally likes, but I think I think Ricky's pretty funny. What, how about you? Oh, God. Have you seen Humanity? Yes. Is he brilliant or what? Oh, my <laughs> God. I mean, it's painfully funny. It's painfully funny. God. that. Anyway, people who have Netflix, look it up. Ricky Gervais, Humanity. Um, if you don't what? laugh, I would definitely rush to the doctor the next day and say, please check my pulse. Please check. You know, yeah. Well, yeah, because you, if you, yeah, if you have a pulse in you and you're breathing, you will think that's funny. And I would also say, I don't know if you've seen um, um, a Nanette by Hannah Gadsby. I think that is very powerful. It's it's comedy and and but she also brings a lot of social issues that she's got to talk about to the table. You just asked the question that I was going to ask you. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I love I love that. I've watched that show twice. I mean, she is just it is so powerful. That's also on Netflix, guys. Uh, Hannah Gadsby and uh, the show is called Nanette. Mm -hmm. Tell us about your new book. Stop being boring. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You know, Stop Boring Me was born out of this. You know, working with, with a lot of companies on their messages, and sometimes I get to write funny speeches and funny things, and sometimes it's really it's really more human than that. It's just, hey, help us be unboring. And I thought, well, comedy writers, what, what do we do? We think about the most human message, and we go for the truth. We go right for the jugular because we're going for the truth. And it occurred to me that companies, if they would be less transactional and much more human, they would, they would be so much better in their messaging. So I started working from what did I learn in comedy and sketch writing and all that other stuff that has served me well. And how do we, what are the tools from improv that can help companies be less boring? And it really, a lot of these lessons come from, from the improv and, and sketch stages. And it's meant to, if you've got a message that you need to get out there, there's so many more ways to, to be human and connect without going to the gobbledygook of jargon monoxide poisoning that uh, <laughs> most companies are you know, inhaling their own, their own fumes. So uh, give us a little um, detail about the book. Like what would, let's say, a, a business person who's looking at improving their messaging, if they pick it up, what kinds of things will they find in it? Sure. So there's a couple. Um, the first half of the book is really storytelling. And, and we talk about lessons in improv. How do we heighten? How do we take the story, the truth of what's happening, and how do we heighten it on steroids? And how do we use really important tools in stage storytelling, like every protagonist has a want and a need. And I used to have a, a a uh, uh, teacher at uh, Second City that said to me several times, and it stayed with me over the years, it's, you know, storytelling is where every human being has a need and a want. And comedy is storytelling where everybody has a need and a want, but the protagonist keeps getting blocked. But he or she can't 
help it. They are compelled to keep getting up and seeking that need fulfillment and they keep getting blocked again. And the comedy comes out of being blocked. But damn it, they can't help their wiring. That's who they are. And they're going to keep getting up again and they can't help it. And these are really powerful lessons that if you look at describing your human need and what's in it for your audience in the most basic ways, you can transform your messaging and your storytelling into something that doesn't sound corporate-y. I love it. I mean, uh, absolutely love it. That's great. Do you have a favorite, well, it might be, do you have a a favorite female um, comic? I mean, uh, I, I started by saying it might be, I don't know if it's Hannah Gatsby at this moment, but. You know, gosh, I have so many for different reasons. Um, I love Wanda Sykes. I think she's hysterical. Um, she, she slays, I mean, in ways that yeah, are just, you know, they're too great. Um, I think Sam B is very, um, uh, she's very um, ballsy and brave. And she says a lot of really important things. Say that, uh, say that name again. Sam B, Samantha B. Oh, Samantha uh, B. Okay, okay. She goes. She goes by Sam. Yeah, um, Samantha B. I think she's brilliant. Um, I, I think Kate McKinnon from Saturday Night Live does incredible, um, you know, portrayals of, of different characters um, that are just super brilliant. I think there's just. I, I think you're right. I think you know Hannah Gadsby um, is. She's a powerful voice. She's an Australian comic for those who, you know, um, haven't seen it. And you should watch uh, Nanette. Uh, she, she just says, again, she's using comedy as, a, as, a, as weaponized social consciousness. She's mm. saying the things that we have to talk about. And she knows they're uncomfortable. And she's trying to make it less so. But still, some people are going to be uncomfortable. And that's okay because these things need to be said. But she's trying to use comedy as the delivery vehicle. And I applaud that. Mm-hmm. Is in your opinion, comedy in North America evolving right now and how I think you might've touched on it a bit before. I think it is. I think it really is. I think the voices that are rising up are more diverse. And I love that because now we're seeing the other side of it. Um, you know, uh, you know, and and I, I can say this as being a comic and also being female. Um, I think for a long, long time, you know, a lot of the voices were male, and there's a lot of brilliant male comics. This is not a gender, you know, either or, because there's brilliant voices across the spectrum. But I think now we're seeing different ethnicities, um, different races, um, you know, people from. Um, you know, different genders, we're seeing much more diversity. And I like that because it's so important. Comedy comes from your own personal experiences, right? That's what comedy comes from. And if we don't have these experiences, we are, these other voices, we are literally impoverished as a society. And y'all never know what it's like to be an African-American and to be pulled over by the cops. I know what it's like to be working while female in tech but I don't know what it's like to be pulled over. And I find that there's so much social discourse that happens because of comedy. And it's a powerful and really important place to be right now. All mm. those voices. Mm. Yeah. Agree. So is there anything else that you would love to do if you were not a comedian? Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> if I wasn't a comedian, Oh man. Um, 
God, you know, in my head, I dance like Ginger Rogers, but that's not how I actually dance. Um, I don't even dance as well as Fred Rogers. I don't dance. I, I, my, <laughs> my, um, you know, I don't, let's just put it this way. I don't dance well. But I, in my, I have always wanted, like, I have this vision of me, like, in an elegant dress, like, dance, gliding across, you know, like, the beautiful uh, Ginger Rogers. But no, in fact, that is not how I dance. Um, I've seen myself on video. Um, at weddings, um, because my nieces and nephews who are old enough to like document it for social media and make fun of me. Um, like I, I dance like a 40 something year old white woman dances. So yeah, that's not pretty, (laughs) but you know what? I, I wish I was a, so, so you think you can dance? Uh, actually, in fact, I don't, and there should be a show for that. No, I don't dance well and put me on that because I think I'd be a hit. I think I'd be a big hit. You would. It would be a new comedy special. It would be. Well, I, I guess, but that seems to be more like a wonderful fantasy thing. But supposing, yeah. what if tomorrow, for whatever reason, you had to stop doing comedy and you had to do some other kind of work that excited you? Is there anything like that? You know, the closest thing would really be, which is part of what I do now, if I, if I got rid of the comedy piece, I think it'd be storytelling. Because I think comedy is the best storytelling I know. Now, if you take comedy out of it, it would make me sad. But I, but I think what is still what sticks here in this equation is that all comedy comes down to, and you and I both know this, is that it's storytelling, and it's storytelling that is so personal and real that we are connected to our audience. And I think if if I couldn't do comedy, but I could just do storytelling and help people be better storytellers, I would feel like I was using a lot of my skills to, to serve people. And that would be, I, I would I would miss comedy, but I would feel like, okay, I'm advancing humanity a little bit because I'm getting rid of all the really crappy, you know, jargon monoxide out there. But I'm also helping people be heard. And I think great stories help us be heard. And that's powerful. So you would use storytelling in conjunction with uh, helping people to communicate better uh, and more authentically. I think so, yeah. 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 And not to be so serious. I think when we're so overly serious about trying to connect, um, I, I think we have the opposite effect. Uh, the more gravitas we try to like, I'm going to be super serious, I think it's hard for people to take us that way. Um, and, I, and I think, um, yeah, if I could help people connect more authentically, that would be amazing. Beautiful. Do you have a huge, scary, ambitious dream? Yes. Um, And I'm laughing because um, a good friend of mine told me that, uh, you know, um, he asked me what my dream was and I told him and he he goes, well, I don't buy it because you're not throwing up. And I laugh. I said, what does that have to do with it? He said, well, I think that you're not dreaming big enough unless you've got a barf bag ready, as you say it, to be able, because it should scare you that much. Um, So I think my big hairy sort of ambition ambition, uh, would be to eventually, I would love to have like a TV show or a a radio show bigger than my podcast that is really about, let's talk about all kinds of topics. The things that we don't want to talk about every day, can we find a way to talk about them that make them less scary? Can we have more meaning? Can we sort of get past this, you know, I'm from a red state, you're from a blue state. Can we use comedy to do it? And I'd love, I'd love to have that. And I'd love to have um, to lift the voices of, of more women and people of color and, and voices that have traditionally not been heard on the, on this topic. That's what I'd love to do. Wow. Are you familiar with the name Peter Diamandis? 
Yes. Yeah, I've been following him, been part of his community. The reason I mention it is what you just said. Uh, Peter challenges us to define what we call our our MTP, right? Mm-hmm. Our uh, massively transformative purpose. So when I sat down to do that, I mentioned it because of something you just said. What I came up with was that my MTP is to create a borderless world by raising the global conversation around who we are through the power of storytelling. Mm, I like that. That's that's deep. That's that's huge. Isn't that, isn't that funny? Because once you've heard another person's story, even if you don't agree with them and you understand more of their backstory, it changes how you see them. Yeah. And, you know, ultimately, yeah. we break through all of the uh, the layers the society has imposed and that we accept. Mm-hmm. We find out that we're really all the same. Whether you like it or not, we're all the same. Yeah, we are. We, we are. Some of us smell nicer than others. Some of us are taller. <laughs> but we all want, you know, we all want human needs. I think that's really it. We all want to be heard and seen. And I think that's really the great human equalizer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kathy, would you like to act in feature films? I think that would be so much fun. That, I've, done a few, I've, done, I've done a few independent films, actually. Um, and I, I think that would be fun. It is. I mean, uh, I mean, I'm, most of my work as an actor is in films and TV. Yeah. Yeah. It is fun. Um, what pisses you off the most in our world today? Oh, I think, oh, what a big question. That's a, it's a great question. Um, I think one of the things that really pisses me off is that um, we have forgotten basic I think empathy and compassion for one another. Uh, you know, I'm never, I'm never going to know what it's like. Like I said, I've heard friends tell me their stories of what it's like to be pulled over uh, as an African American, and I'll never know what it's like. But it does me. It's important for me to sit down and hear their stories, and I would really love if my friends would hear what it's like to be a woman. What is it like to be harassed and to have unwanted stuff happen? What is it like to be working in the tech industry that was 90% male and to to um, always be told nobody's going to listen to your stories? And if we could just um, stop with all that stuff and just hear each other, like hear each other and have more empathy and compassion, my God, I think we would be so much further than where we're at as a, as a, as a, as a world. Yeah, absolutely. And I just, something just came to my mind. I did an interview with a friend of mine who is a, a performer. She's a wonderful jazz singer and she's also a writer. She's just written a book, um, a confessional. It's called, uh, I'm not naked any, mm. anymore. She was a stripper for many years and, you might really like her pod. The, I did an interview with her. You can find it on my website because you were talking about being harassed as a woman. This mm-hmm. this woman was sexually abused consistently from the age of two. Wow. Get wow. And the amazing thing is she's not angry or bitter and mm-hmm. she's totally moved on from it with 
a sense of growth and forgiveness, and it's incredible. I mean, wow. and then she's still performing. She she sings, like I said, she writes. Um, um, mm. you, you two should just connect on Facebook. Her name is Sonia Cote, C-O-T-E. She lives here in Toronto. I'm, I, I would love to. That's a powerful story right there. Yeah, those and those are those are stories we really need to hear to, to understand each other, and that's yeah. powerful. Yeah, yeah. She's an amazing lady. She really is. And what yeah. a voice she's got. In fact, if you go on to her um, Facebook, she did a Facebook Live, which I'm sure is still there. Uh, no, it wasn't. It, somebody was filming it. No, that's right. They filmed it. She was honoring her dad on stage, and she was singing with him. And this was recent. This was just about three weeks ago. And uh, you can hear what she sounds like, too. It's really, really quite wonderful. Wow. She yeah. sounds amazing. What a journey. What a story. Yeah. yeah, it is. It really, really is. Yeah. Can anyone, yeah. can anyone learn to be funny? And if so, how? I really believe this. And I, this, is, this is a question I have, I have long since debated with a lot of my comic friends. <laughs> and I'm sure you have too. It, it, I love this question because I really think, yes, yeah, some part of it is, is nature. But I really, I'm a big believer in nurture because, you know, uh, look, when I started comedy, I, I, I had that proclivity. But, you know, I was sort of like a, um, a gun that didn't know how to go off and where to go off in the right places. You know what I mean? And so you have to have that training to be able to understand how to channel it for to be more effective. So I really believe you can be more effective. And I think it starts with learning how to tell a story. I think, you know, um, not everyone can tell a joke. A cho- jokes are precise. There's a setup, there's a punchline, it requires timing, there's the rule of three. Some of these things are easy, but they take a little bit of time to get. But I really believe that where people can start is learn how to tell a really good story. Take your most embarrassing moment or your failure story and own it. Own the crap out of that story. And don't minimize it. Own it. And if you tell that right, and you can make it funny, and you can make people fall in love with you with your honesty. Mm, yeah, that's a great one. Uh, there's a book. I don't remember the author. I have it upstairs. It's uh, a book on by a comedian about how to do comedy. And it's, what's really cute is that when you open it up, it says, okay, if you're Italian, black, or Jewish... Skip the first two chapters. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> you just jump right to chapter three. You already got something. It's it's pass front of the line. You get to you get to move up in the Disney line. You're yeah. in the queue. There you go. The fast pass. There's the comedy fast pass. <laughs> <laughs> That's hysterical. Yeah, and, you know, and I you and you know this so well. It's like. You know, I tell a lot of my friends who I've, con- I've managed to convince over the years, some of my friends to do comedy, not because they want to be comics, but because I tell them that they'll learn how to be spontaneous. It will scare them, but they'll grow from it. And the biggest thing that I tell people is the very thing that you, the elephant in the room, if you own that, talk about it. I mean, I got a friend, I got a friend who is seven foot four. Uh, he is a former basketball player. And like, I'm like, there's no way you can't talk about that. That should be the very first thing coming out of your mouth. So if there's something different about you that, that you know and everybody else knows it, you know, own that story. If you own that, everybody goes, okay, they have self-awareness. And it, it, if you just own that, my gosh, you, you've got people falling in love with you because we love people who are self-aware 
and they're not mad and angry. They just own it. And yeah, that's a beautiful thing. I just saw a story forming in my head about this seven foot four guy about the time he fell in love with a four foot woman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and his girlfriend is five two. Oh and my God. Oh my God. And she and, wears, and she wears stilts when they go out. She wears stilts, right? I yeah. mean, there's a story right there. And, and the first thing that comes, he's like, should I talk about it? I'm like, you should not avoid it because the audience is going, this guy is hella tall. I mean, and if you're petite, if whatever you are, if that's the thing that people notice, make it work for you. Yeah, put it to work for you. Here's a non sequitur that just came out of that. I think that Tyrion Lannister should become the ruler at the end of the Game of Thrones. Uh, and I yes. think it would not only because he's brilliant and, and the best diplomat of all of them, but what a wonderful irony that the dwarf becomes king. I have said that, and I'm so with you. My husband and I, love. he is our favorite character because he's the only one that has any shred of integrity at all. <laughs> well, it's not and, just integrity. He's extremely yeah. smart. I mean, he's smart. He's smart, but he also, because of his own experience with his family being sort of the outcast, he has at least some shred of compassion for other players in the game. Mm. And you don't see that with anybody else. He's compassionate, he's shrewd, he's smart, and he's funny. Mm. And so, all hail, all hail Tyrion the King. I'm on board. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> we shall see soon, 2019. Where do you see yourself in five years? Gosh, in, well, in five years, um, I'd like to think that um, I'll have well, I'll have my next book out. I'd love to have a TV show. That's I'm something I'm working on. Um, I, I'm working actually on a um, a, a play right now. Um, I've done one women one woman shows, and I'm, this one I'm turning into a play. And I'd love to have a TV show and uh, this play done. Yeah. Yeah. You ready to talk? What is the play going to be about? Can you mention? Well, I'll tell you this. Um, because I'm still, um, we're still naming it and doing research on names. Uh, and yes, names are a whole thing because of copyrights. Um, we, uh, it, it is about um, through the lens of women in Silicon Valley. Mm. And yes, 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 yes. And it's going to be funny, of course. We want people to laugh and not cry. They can cry, but we want them to, to go through a story arc that is really positive and uplifting. And that's really what we're working on right now. So, yes. Connect with Randy Zuckerberg. Mm, yes. She not only is a woman who worked there with uh, her brother, but uh, you know she enjoyed her time. I believe she created Facebook Live, by the way. Oh. Uh, and yeah. And then she said, you know what? I'm moving on. And now she does her own thing. She's quite a woman. She's uh, I've heard. Yeah. Her interview. Yeah. Yeah. Reach out to her. You never know. I mean, that'd be a great one to be in. Have on your side. You can't have too many. You no. cannot have too many on no. your side. Exactly. Do you have a favorite book? Oh, my gosh. Um, There's a lot of books that I've loved. A lot of books. Um, One that. um that I, I read, I've read so many times now and I love it. Um, it's the, uh, I'm going to get the name wrong because it's, 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 I've got a lot of stuff jumbled in my head, but it's the one by Paulo Coelho. I think it's the alchemist. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That, that's right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. I, I, 
And I have read it over the years since it came out, and I know it's being, um, uh, I think, uh, licensed for a, a movie at some point. But um, I just the, the layers of messages in that book about your calling. I mean, I, I read something new every time I, re- I read it, and I it's got layers for me. And I'm nerdy like that, so I will go back and I will reread the Onion and peel the layers back. Mm. Yeah, yeah. What about a favorite quote? Hmm. Let's see. Um, you know, there's two for me, and the, it's one of them is the um, the the Will Rogers quote that I mentioned earlier. Um, because I think comedy, if done well, has meaning. It's it, it isn't just laughter; it's powerful, mm-hmm. uh, and it's subversive, um, and it's it can bring change. So I love that. And I think the other one is just a quote that everybody loves. Everybody cites it. Um, I, I guess I'm not original, but it's it's the Maya Angelou quote of, of people won't remember everything you said, but they'll remember how you made them feel. And that's what's beautiful about comedy. I think people will remember, I had a great time. You made me feel good. And they may, they'll remember certain things you said, but more more important than anything else, they'll remember how how they felt when they left your show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. How can people contact you or book you or buy your book? Well, the book is on Amazon. You can get the book on Amazon. This is true. You can also call me and, you know, for, for large orders. Um, and you can reach me at keepingithuman.com. You can just send me an email at uh, uh, the information there if you want to chat. And I'm always happy to chat about booking and, and that kind of thing. So, yeah, keepingithuman.com. Beautiful. Any final thoughts for our storytellers today? My gosh, I, I want to go back to something you said so so well at the beginning of this, which I think is really, honestly, um, the story that you tell yourself is the most powerful thing in the world, and I think you have to make it a great one because anything less and you've done yourself a disservice. So I love this idea that, you know, the most powerful thing is the story you, t- you tell yourself. And here's the beauty of it. You get to rewrite it every day. If you've had a bad day, you get to rewrite. You wake up the next day. It's not. It, it's completely changeable. And you decide. You can write that story every day. You get to write a new one. I think that's an opt- fundamentally optimistic message. Thank you. And I, um, in my own, looking at my own experience with that, I find that we need to, be on top of it every single day. In fact, hour to hour, because if we just let the narrative unfold on its own, often it's going to be a negative and limiting one. I came up with an image. Can I share it with you? Oh my gosh, please. About stories and the stories we tell ourselves. If we start to think of our stories as uh, rooms that we live in, and I want you to, and, and it's a room that's alive, it's not static. So imagine now that you're standing in a room and your story starts to become very self-critical and very, um, you're basically getting down on yourself and you can continue with that. Now I want you to imagine that the ceiling begins to move slowly toward you and the walls start to move slowly toward you and the floor starts to move up. You're being enclosed and you keep it up Eventually, you'll be almost confined, like in solitary confinement. Now, imagine an empowering story, just the opposite. That the more you tell it, 
The ceiling rises and gets higher and higher and higher. The walls extend. The floor even goes down and you with it so that you're looking up at a very high ceiling and you have a broad panorama looking out of this incredible window with an endless view. I love that. That's my story. (laughs) And it's a great one. (laughs) And I can't thank you enough. It's been fun and really valuable to have you on the show today. And my cat is commenting. You hear her? Yes, and I think your cat is saying, I agree. I concur. (laughs) Yes, she is. She's saying, I want to meet Kathy. Well, I would love to meet your cat. So cats are awesome. There's nothing like having a cat or a dog, sort of like video bomb or photo bomb or audio bomb, like a podcast. Because it just, you know what? We all love animals, right? That's right. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, by the way, mention your podcast because I didn't realize you had one. I do. I've got two. I've one. I've got one that I do with a, another uh, a marketer, uh, somebody who comes from that world. Uh, it's called Business Shenanigans, the Business Shenanigans Show, because it's two women. And then mine is called the Yes and Brand Show, and it's all about ways that we can yes and in our lives and our businesses and everything and everything and everything. Okay, so it's the Yes and Show. The Yes and Brand Show. Mm-hmm. Oh, the Yes and Brand. Mm-hmm. Okay, because you said it so fast, it almost sounded like the S&M show. <laughs> well, you know what? That is a show I'm working on. I, <laughs> that's in development right now. It's been very painful and very uh, to, to develop <laughs> and yet very enjoyable. Isn't that ironic? And especially, um, it's extremely painful for your husband. I understand. That's right. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Thank you so much, Kathy. Thank you for having me. What a pleasure. Thank you once again, storytellers, for spending time today with me and Kathy Clote's guest. Put a smile on the faces of all the people you know by sharing this episode with them. Let them know that they can hear it on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, and at the website, changeyourstorypodcast.com. Rush to the website. Download the free ebook that I created for you called Storytelling Secrets for a Rich Life and Business. Why would you do that? Because it's engaging, it's brief, and it will definitely give you an edge in all of your personal and business communication. Also go to www.audibletrial.com forward slash story power and take advantage of the free gift from our sponsor Audible, a downloadable free audiobook of your choice. And you get to choose from more than 180,000 titles. And then you can enjoy all of Audible service for free for an entire month without any further obligation. You know, for next week, I'm going to give you a simple and enjoyable thing to do. One is to find one comedy performance on Netflix or, you know, rent it on a DVD and watch it. And then register how you feel and what you got 
not only from an entertainment point of view, but perhaps what it made you feel like as a person. Because great comedy goes beyond just entertainment. As well, think of some incident in your life that you see very negatively. Perhaps it was very painful in the past. And have the courage and the openness to ask, what can I find humorous about this? If you really do it, commit to it 100%, I guarantee you'll be surprised and empowered. And when you do it, let us know what it was like, what aha moments you had, what you discovered, how you felt differently. Send your comments to loseclub at gmail.com. That's L-O-U-S-C-L-U-B at gmail.com. You can also go to this episode at changeyourstorypodcast.com and leave your comments for others to enjoy right beneath the episode. If you have a challenge taking on either of these, I think, exciting exercises, simply take a breath and ask, how can I change my story and change my life? Tune in to the next episode of Louis DiBianco's podcast. Become unstoppable as you learn to change your story, change your life.